leading us to Brad and all of our worship team. Well, before we jump into Romans chapter 12 this morning, we want to take a moment to dismiss our kids upstairs for kids crew. This is open to children who are fourth grade and under, and they're going to meet with our leaders and head upstairs for a time of worship that is designed for them to help them engage the truth of the gospel in a way that is interactive and on their uh, their level, and we love that they get to do that. I'm grateful for the leaders who invest in them each week. Romans chapter 12, as we're working our way through the book of Romans, we've reached, we've reached a point where uh, now, as we see often in, in Paul's writing, he's starting to just run down lists. Anybody a list person? Anybody, anybody make lists? Like you, there, there are essentially, there are two types of people, right? There are lists people, and then there are people who don't get anything done. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. I'm like super type A. I'm the, I'm the type of person that I make lists, and I have lists, and uh, like, I, literally, I, I don't always, I have like a notebook that's like actually designed to be like my notebook that I keep my list of to-do things in, right? So I can track things over time. Uh, sometimes I just scratch on whatever little scratch of paper is nearest me, but I like to work from a list. I like to, and even when I, this is how, this is how type A I am, okay? When I make lists, I will, I will draw out a little box next to like each item on my list so that I can check it off as I get it done. You know, I'm one of those kind of list making people. Paul likes to make lists of things. And sometimes when we read, when we read the New Testament in particular, when we read uh, Paul's writing, I think most especially, the tendency is that we want to look at this and, and we see the lists. And if we're not careful, we can easily turn the writing that is meant to transform our hearts into something that's just like a, a checklist of things that we're to do and things that we don't do, right? This is just like, check, I got it. That, that, I mean, there's some, there's some value in being able to look at these things and understand, am I doing this? Am I living this? Is this what I'm, am I accomplishing what I'm called to do? And yet, let's keep in mind that even as we look at this passage of Scripture today, and we're going to see a lot. In fact, by my count, 28 explicit instructions in the passage that we're going to read this morning in these verses. 28 direct instructions. Truly, Paul's a list guy, right? Check, check, check. But let's not let the, the, the instructions, let's not let the list, let's not let this keep us from understanding that the goal of all of this is to speak to hearts that have been transformed and changed by the power of the gospel. What's more, we saw last week in our study in Romans chapter 12, that not only is there a dimension of that that is personal for us individually, but there's a dimension of that that's also true for us corporately as a body, as a group of people, as a church, that God is calling us to these things. So yes, as we read Romans 12, there's a dimension of this that applies to you, that you need to look inward into your life. You need to look inward and you need to ask yourself the question, am I doing this? Am I following these instructions? Am I living these things out? And there, there's an element of that that is so important and so necessary. And yet, let's also keep in mind, he's writing to a church and he's writing to instruct a church and form the heart of a church in the way that they should move and operate corporately as a people. And so even for us, there's an element of this that is meant to give us direction corporately as a people as a body that we saw last week. So the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul spells out 
what, what the heart of the gospel is all about. From the beginning, Romans chapter 1, he tells us about the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. We saw that weeks and weeks and weeks ago in Romans chapter 1. And as we studied through Romans, we saw in those first 11 chapters that God was explaining or through Paul, of course, that God is giving us this picture, this description of what his salvation is like. But then we turn a corner in Romans chapter 12, and now we're getting into some of the more practical things. How do we live this out? How do we accomplish this together? You know, I find it interesting that in Paul's writing both to the church in Rome and also similarly to the church in Corinth, that he in one sense talks about the body, and he instructs them on how they're to function together as a body, and then he moves directly from the call to live as the body of Christ, to be the church, to operate the way that we should in a way that's healthy, into an ins- specific instructions about love. You can read that in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he highlights the parts of the body, that we're a body in Christ, and that, that there are different parts of the body, and different parts of the body have different roles to play and different functions to play, and then you flow right into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's all about love, right? But he's even talking there about love as a gift from God. And if I do all of these other things and have not love... then then it's worthless. I've missed the point. Romans chapter 12, similarly. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8 that we studied last week, that we ought to see ourselves the way that we should as the people of God, called of God, called to one another, called to operate together in a body as a group of people. And what then flows from that understanding of who God has called us to be, of how he's called us to be a part of his body, that we have a, a part to play, gifts that we've been given, a role, a mission, a purpose in his kingdom. It's to love, that we operate out of love to serve one another and serve those around us. That's exactly what we're going to see, Romans chapter 12 this morning. So let's dive in, Romans 12, 9, and we'll just finish out Romans chapter 12 together this morning. All right, Romans 12, 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. There's three right there in the first verse, right? And it's going to be that way all the way through. I told you, there's a lot of instruction here. You can count them, all right? Check my math on this. I count 28 instructions that he's given us. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. That might mean prideful or conceited, right? But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I think that there, I, I think verses 9 and verse 21 give us a good set of bookends to everything that's happened here. Because in verse 9, we see from the beginning of this, of this particular text, right? Love, love, let love be genuine. 
But then in verse 21, we see the other bookend of that. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't it true that we're, we live in a world where it just seems like there's evil all around us? We live in a world, and particularly in a, in a day and time when it seems like we just have to turn on the TV or we, we grab our phone and we just swipe up and, 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 and then we see, here it is, it just comes to us in our news feed. It comes to us on the news channel. It comes to us in our inbox. There are so many ways that we can look at the world and we see that this world is broken. And we see, we see evil. We see all of the, the bad and, and, and the awful things in this world. And it's in the midst of that that God has called us as his people to shine the light. That he's called us to reflect his goodness to a broken and a dark world. And to be clear, the world is broken and it's dark. But Christian, you and I, we have the light, the light of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that he is alive in us. He's changed us. He's transformed us. He's forming us into an image of Christ, that he's making us more and more like Jesus through the things that we face in life. We have the answer of what the world needs. And so it was Jesus who said it so clearly. Let your light shine before men. Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and then hides it away, but they put it on its stand so that it can give light. And we're to shine the light, as it were, by being the people of God in a way that, that is on display for the world to see around us. How do we do that? Well, that's really where the church becomes so important because it's through, our, it's through our interactions, it's through our relationships, it's through what we share together as the body of Christ, as the people of God, as the church of Jesus. It's what we share together then that allows us to display the hope of Christ daily, to put it into practice in our lives. The, the truth of the matter is, as we saw last week, you need to be a part of the church. You need to be connected. You need to be united with the church. Why? Well, because there's something that's going to be incomplete in your life, something about the way that God has designed you and the purpose that he's given you that isn't right until you're plugged in into a body and you're using those gifts, yes. But also, also I believe that there are things that you will miss, things that you will never understand, things that you will never be in tune to apart from the connection that you were meant to share with the people of God in the church. And so it's important that we would be the church, that we would operate as the church. In this passage of Scripture, I see two general categories, right? If you were to look at verses 9 through 13, really focus somewhat inwardly, we're going to say, and then verses 14 through 21, somewhat outwardly. Now, to be fair, there can be enemies within the church. As we, as we look at verses 14 through 21, there can be people that you have trouble with, people that you might even genuinely consider to be an enemy of sorts inside of the church. I hope not. And if there is, then we need to talk about that because we need to work on trying to fix that, right? But nonetheless, there might be some broken, some damaged relationships that we have. But generally speaking here, we have instructions from 9 to verse 13 of how we are to, how we're to love and, and interact with and, and, and encourage one another, even in the midst of hardship in the verses 14 through 21, how we're to associate with those around us. But in all cases, in any event, I think this speaks to us, again, as the people of God, the church. Remember verse uh, three through eight that we studied last week were the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we're called to, to impact the world. And that's a word I want to key in on because it's a big part of what we're going to talk about this morning, the word impact. 
So when you think about something that has an impact, we think about something that, that makes a difference, right? Something that has had an impact, something that makes a difference. Uh, did, you, did you see the story uh, a few weeks ago? Uh, maybe last week, I don't remember. Anyway, sometime recently, when NASA was able to fly one of their, uh, one of their satellites into this meteor, and the whole thing that they were trying to do is they were trying to dis- see what kind of an impact would that have? Like, if we could somehow, if we could take our, if we could take our, our satellite, if we could, if we could steer it and aim it into this meteor, what's going to happen? It's kind of like the, uh, you know, what was the, the movie some years ago with, uh, was it Armageddon with Bruce Willis, like where he's the, the oil rig guy that's going to, you know, somehow become an astronaut and fly to space and blow up the meteor that's going to cause global Armageddon in, in, in the world. It's kind of like that, only on a smaller scale, I suppose, that NASA was able to do. And surprisingly, they got within just feet, relatively within a few feet of hitting this, this, uh, this meteor, this asteroid, like dead center of where they wanted to be. It was incredible the, the way that they calculated the math and made all of that work. It's an impact, right? We think about things that have an impact. We think of a collision of two things, but sometimes an impact isn't about the collision of two things. Sometimes impact is about the, the influence that someone has made in our life. Think about people along the way who have influenced you, people who have had, as we might say, an impact in your life. They've left a mark of sorts, right? I can look backward in my life, and I see so many people that God has used to impact me in an incredible way. I am, in so many ways, the poster child of of a a church kid, of a kid who was raised in church. I was literally, my mom taught the nursery in our church. And so if you teach the nursery and you don't bring your own kid to to church, like, I mean, what's that saying to everybody else? So I was in church quite literally from the Sunday after I was born. I was in church all the time, and I grew up around the church, and I didn't grow up in a, a pastor's home or, or anything. My, my parents uh, didn't work in the church as far as their vocation, but they were, they were really plugged in and really connected. And we were one of those families that was just at church all the time. And so I grew up around the church and I can look backward and I can see the influence in my life, the impact in my life from Sunday school teachers who, who taught, uh, who, who influenced me and who taught me uh, along the way. And then there's so many wonderful examples of people that God has used to impact my life, to influence my life. That's what I think about when I think of this word impact. The people who've made a difference. Well, here's the point this morning. God wants to use you to make a difference in somebody's life. And in the same token, he's going to use other people to make a difference in your life. That's why the church matters. We get to influence, impact one another. You get to choose who impacts you to a degree, right? Now, God's going to surprise you, and he's going to use people. But when you're looking at a church, and you're trying to connect with the church, and you're, you're asking, Lord, where would you have us be? What would you, how would you have us connect? Essentially, part of what you're asking is, God, who is it that's going to speak into my life? Because the people in this room, that's what we do. We speak into each other's lives. We influence one another. We encourage one another. We, we lift each other up when we're down. We hold each other when we need it. We hold each other accountable when we need that. The church is meant to be a place that impacts. And and I want us to see in this text this morning the impact of the church. So in order to do that, we're going to take these instructions. We're going to kind of group them together in some ways. We're going to broadly group them together. And I think there are three key lessons that we see by looking at this just sort of in a holistic way, by trying to, rather than go literally 
instruction by instruction, we'd be here until this evening, right? And you don't want to listen to me preach that long. And I don't know that I want to preach that long even. But if we were to just work our way through everything on this list, but if we broadly group this together, we're going to see three key instructions that, and I think the, the common thread, the common denominator here is the word impact, okay? So first we see that a church's identity impacts its activity. Again, this is instruction given to church to the church in Rome first, but yes, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it also speaks to us today. And we see that a church's identity impacts its activity. In verses three through eight, we we have a lot of explanation about the identity of the church, of who we're to be as the people of God, as the body. And then we flow into these first verses. What is the body of Christ to do? We're to love each other. We're to turn from what is evil and hold fast to what is good. We're to love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor. That's just two of 53 different times in the New Testament that 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 one another phrase is used. We've studied those before. That's not the point of this morning's message. But nonetheless, these one another's are important because this is how we are to operate together as a body. That we're to love each other. You're to see the people inside the body of Christ as your brothers and your sisters, as your family. Can family be messy at times? Yes, we've all got that crazy uncle, right? We've all got that, we've all got that wayward person. We've, maybe, and if you can't think of who the crazy uncle is in your family, it's probably because you're the crazy uncle, right? So, but we all have, we all have those, family can be messy. Family can be difficult at times. But the truth of the matter is that God, we're, we're, we're together as a family. We go through the ups and downs, the good and the bad in life. Well, in the body of Christ, as the family of God, it works the same way. And understanding ourselves that way affects what we do. So that when life gets hard, we don't run from it. We, we lean into it. It's been said, you know, that uh, it, it's been said of different denominations that, you know, these different denominations have their things, you know, that uh, the, the Catholics have their liturgy and, the, and, and, and on and on. Baptists have their casseroles. You know, it's been said about us as people. But think about, uh, I, I've actually joked with, uh, you know, some, some of our deacons, one of our deacons in particular, that we kind of banter about this idea from time to time. But think about, think about this, about the significance of those casseroles and what that means. It's, the casserole is more than just a casserole. The casserole represents a group of people who show up for each other a group of people who are there for each other so that when you're walking through hardship, someone is standing on your doorstep saying, here, I made you this. Oh, I'm going to come into your house. Here, let me, let me do your laundry. Let me pick up for you. Let me help. And yet it may seem like a little bit much to you, but can I tell you that, I mean, I, I can literally point to examples of things like that that happen in the life of our church on the regular. People who show up for each other in difficult moments. People who know the garage code to somebody else's house. You know what I'm saying? That kind of friend that like can get in when they need to get in and can help you and be there and and stand in for you when you need it. That kind of thing. Because we have that kind of people. And that, so that casserole is kind of a holy thing when you think of it that way. That it's reflective of a group of people who show up for each other, who care for one another who outdo one another in showing honor, who are not slothful, that means not lazy in zeal, but they're fervent in spirit. They serve the Lord. They rejoice in hope. They're patient in the midst of hardship, constant in prayer. They continue to, to contribute rather to the, right, the needs of this. This is, this is a picture of a people who are, who are there for one another. And that's what we're to be as the church. In fact, 
that's what we're to be because that's what Jesus intends for us. Don't you understand that this is by God's design that that's the way that we operate? It's not like some early church fathers got together and just said, hey, you know what would be a good idea if we fill in the blank? They were following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They were following God's direction. They were even following the explicit instruction that Jesus had given them, that they were to serve one another. They were to love one another. They were to be with one another. And and they were living out that example. And when the church lives out that example, when our identity as followers of Jesus impacts our activity, it impacts the things that we do, that's when we begin to operate as the church. That's when we begin to be the people that God has called us to be. When we understand who God is calling us to be, when you understand who God is calling you to be, and you allow that to affect the little things even in your life and the things that you do. So our identity impacts our activity. That's what the church is meant to be. Secondly, we see that a church's generosity impacts its ministry. Now, of course, the preacher would preach about generosity, right? Yes, of course, the preacher. But understand, when I talk about generosity here, I'm not just talking about money. Money is a clear part of it. Let me, let me I mean, I'm not going to shy away from that at all. Money is, is part of the generosity that's in the crosshairs here, yes. But it's not just money. And don't you understand that money is, it's never just about money. The reason Jesus talked about money, the reason the writers of the New Testament talk about money, the reason preachers preach about money, because it's not just about money. I don't talk about money because God's broke and he needs your money. God's got all the money that he needs. Anything that's of any real value and anything that's of any worth in this world, God's the one who created it anyway. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need anything. If God wants it, he'll make it happen. We don't give to the church because God's broke and he's got his hand out. We give to the church because in God's design for our lives, he wants us to be reminded that if we don't put him first in everything, then we will quickly descend into the, the, the worthless pursuits of our own self-indulgence and idolatry. And if you were in our Sunday school this morning, particularly our adult classes are studying through uh, the Explore the Bible material, you're in the book of Jonah, then you saw that this morning even in Jonah, in the story of Jonah's life. That if we, if we bow down to worthless idols, then we, then we forfeit the, the steadfast love of God the hope of steadfast love of God that could be ours. Jonah chapter 2 verse 8 taught us. And so a church's generosity impacts its ministry. Look at what he writes in verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Generosity isn't just about money. Now, I'm, I, we are blessed. We are a generous church. Can I brag on you for a minute, First Baptist Church? We are a generous church. You are a generous and a giving church. When people ask me, and, and they do sometimes, they'll say, what are the strengths of your church? What are the strengths of First Baptist Church? You know what? I, there are two things that I always tell. And, and it occurred to me recently when I shared this with someone uh, that I don't tell you this enough, so I'm going I'm to brag on you for a minute. But two things that people ask me, what are the strengths of your church? Number one, I say without a question, the strength of our church, first and foremost, is the people. It's the heart of the people. We're not a perfect church. There are no perfect churches. And if you ever find a perfect church, you should stay away. You'll mess it up, right, because you're not perfect either. 
There are no perfect churches. We are not a perfect church, but we're a healthy church and we love each other. The strength of this church, number one, first and foremost, is its people. Secondly, I think one of the major strengths of our church is the way that we give. It's, it's the way that we give financially. Now, that, that's not because we're a church of rich people, because we're not. We're not. We're, we're not a church of, of the wealthy and the elite. Uh, we're not. We're just, we're, I mean, we have people in this church that God has blessed in, a, in some crazy ways, and praise God for that. But we also got people in this church that don't know how they're going to feed their, their family this week, right? They're struggling, and they're, and they're we, we got all those kinds. And that's the way a church ought to be. A church is a reflection of, of, of the community. It's a reflection of where we are and, and the people around us. And we had all types in First Baptist Church. We're not a church of wealthy elites, but we are a people that believe that if we will work together, if we will leverage the resources that God has given to us and be faithful, that God will use that to impact others around us. You're a giving church. Did you know, you may not understand fully how the giving of our church operates and and, and those things, but we have a percentage of every dollar that is given to this church that we give to what's called the cooperative program. The cooperative program is how we do missions with other Southern Baptist churches. It goes first to our office here in, uh, in Oklahoma, and then from there it's divided up and sent on to uh, our Southern Baptist Convention. And so of every dollar that is given to our church, 12.5% of that, so you could say effectively 12.5 cents on the dollar, goes to the cooperative program. Another 2.5% of that goes to our Grady Baptist Association of Churches. So 15% of everything that we take in, we send right out the door before anything else happens. And of that money, that money is used then in different ways to impact lostness around the globe. Did you know that last year in the state of Oklahoma, this church, this church, First Baptist Church, we were within, I believe, and I'm, I could be wrong about this because I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here, going off memory, and my memory can get a little bit hazy. I have slept since then. But last year, you remember, I served as one of the state officers for Oklahoma Baptist. And so I even spent just a brief amount of time last year as the president of Oklahoma Baptist. And so in the midst of that, I saw a lot of things kind of behind the curtain in Oz, so to speak. One of the things that blew my mind is that we were a top 10 church in giving in the state. In the state. Now, we are far from a top 10 church in like attendance and other things. I mean, we're a, we're a great church, a church that runs eh, somewhere around 300, just north of 300 in Sunday school, around 400 in worship. We're a great body, but there are churches that are much bigger, but we outgave them. Now, some of, that is, some of that is because not every church gives as much as we do to the cooperative program. I don't mean to say that our overall receipts, our overall budget was in the top 10. But what I mean is of what we gave, dollars, the amount of dollars that we gave to the cooperative program, we're like a top 10 church, right on the cusp of being that top 10 church in Oklahoma. You know why that is? It's because we believe in the power of what that money does. Now, that doesn't mean that another church that does it a different way doesn't believe in the power of what God's money. Hear me in that, okay? But I'm not their pastor, and I'm not bragging on them. I'm bragging on you. Uh, 12.5% of what we give, we send on. And God uses that to do some incredible things. Last year, it was uh, just north of, I think, $180,000 or something like that that we gave to the cooperative program. Incredible testimony to your generosity as a church. So I'm not talking to you about being generous because you're stingy, and I'm trying to get something out of you. But... I want you to keep doing what you're doing. I want you to keep giving and keep using the resources because I want you to understand that that is a part of God's formation for our design spiritually. 
that when we give to the church, it's a reminder that God comes first, that I put him first, even in my bank account, even with my money, even with those things. And it can be challenging. Yes, it can be hard. I I get that. I totally understand that. But the point is, God calls us to be generous. Why? Because he's been generous with us. That's a part of that identity that's at work again. And we understand that God has loved us and poured himself out, that he's rich in mercy and grace to us, and he's given us freely so that we might be forgiven of our sins, transformed through the saving power of Jesus. That ought to change who we are in our heart. It ought to make us generous too. Because a generous God has loved us generously. And when we give generously of our time, of our resources, of our abilities, our talents and our abilities, and even, yes, our tithe, our money, when we give generously, what we're demonstrating is that we understand that God is the giver of every good thing, and I'm going to hold it with an open hand. I'm going to be a conduit that God uses to bless and reach others. That it was never meant to stop with me. God didn't just pour out his blessing on me so that I would get it and be fat and happy. God poured out his blessing on me so that I could bless somebody else. And when we see things that way, it impacts our ministry. It affects what we do. And I'm proud of you as a church because it impacts our ministry. But can I tell you, let's not become satisfied. Let's not become content with what God has done because we're always just to turn away from from losing it. Because yes, we've honored God in the past, but that's not a guarantee that we'll honor him in the future. It's a predictor, I suppose, that we will. But we have to make the daily decision to take up our cross and follow Christ, to put him first, to seek him, to honor him with what he's given us. And if we'll be a generous church, it impacts our ministry. It impacts the way that we're able to love people. It impacts the way that we're able to preach the gospel to a lost and broken world when we're generous with what God has given us. And I'm not just talking about money, you understand. It impacts our ministry. Finally, when we look at this, what I see is that a church's community impacts its unity. Now, there's a couple of ways that we can use the word community. So let me explain the way I'm using the word community for this. Community can mean just our, our setting, right? Community could be, it's almost like if you could just see our church on a map and, and draw a circle and say, this is our community. Chickasha is our community. Yes, that is, that is the appropriate way that we can use that word community. But also community refers to our fellowship, doesn't it? We use that word a lot, particularly within the context of the church and and, and thinking about the church. We talk about community. We talk about biblical community. We talk about developing community. We talk about how we are to see ourselves as belonging to each other, that we see ourselves united together. We see ourselves living these concentric lives where there's overlap, where where we're around each other and we're influencing one another, where we're impacting one another. One another. And I'm using community here in that sense. I'm talking about the fellowship that we share. I'm talking about the relationships that exist inside of this church and this body. And those relationships, that, that sense of fellowship, that desire to be together, that desire to be the body that we're called to be, to use our gifts to serve others the way that we've been designed to serve others, the desire to do what God has made us to do, to see ourselves as his workmanship, that we are created in Christ for good works, that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. 
And when we see that, we understand that we live that out with each other, that impacts the unity in our body. So that you understand that there's no one in this church that, that, that isn't loved by God. There's no one in this body, no one in this fellowship, no one inside the, the realm of this church that isn't created in the image of God and loved deeply by him. And that ought to change the way that you see other people too. Because sometimes people are hard to love, aren't they? Again, if you're thinking, well, no, no, you're probably the one that's hard to love, right? Sometimes people are hard to love. Sometimes people are, relationships get messy and it's difficult and it's painful and it's broken. And yes, all of that, even inside the church. Yes, and amen, it happens. But when we choose to try to love each other with the love of Jesus, when we choose to try to to love each other with brotherly affection, to outdo one another in love, when we choose to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, not to be haughty or puffed up or prideful, but to associate with the lowly, not to be wise in our own eyes, not to repay evil for evil. When we do, as much as it depends on us, everything that we can do to live peaceably with one another, then there's a unity that that creates among us. Sometimes when people hear the word unity, they think uniformity. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that we all have to look the same, we all have to think the same, we all have to vote the same, we all have to dress the same, we're all going to live in the same neighborhoods, work the... No. Unity is not uniformity. We're not all the same. This is not a think tank or, you know, we're not robots. We bring all that personality, all that being, all that, all that agency to bear on who God has called us to be, but we're called to do it together as a body of Christ. And there ought to be unity in the way that we do that unity in how we live. And it comes from the community that we share. Think about that word community is kind of just like common unity, right? It's what you share in common with what those around you. What is it that we share in common with the people in this room? It's that we're loved by Christ. We're a wreck. We were a wretch, each one of us, but we're saved by the grace of God. And then we're called to do good works that he made us for. We're called to love each other and love people with the love that God's given us. That's what we share in common together. And when we seek to live that out, it ought to make a difference in the unity. So the next time you're really frustrated and really angry with somebody in the church, take a minute, okay? Breathe calm down. I'm not saying that you don't have reason to be upset. Sometimes you have very legitimate reasons. You have been genuinely offended by something that's offensive. I get it. It happens. Trust me, it happens with me too. The number of things, the number of times that as a pastor, you have to just swallow it, step back, and it's part of it, right? But when that happens, remember that that person is someone that God loves, someone who's created in his image, someone who's a work in progress, just like you are a work in progress. And try to show them an ounce of, a sliver of the grace that God has so freely poured out on you. If there's offense, when the time is appropriate and in the way that you should, if you should, let's talk about it. And if there's a wound, then perhaps you should go to them. And and if there's something that you've done that would wrong someone else, maybe you should recognize that and seek forgiveness. As much as it depends on you, do everything you can to live at peace with others. Inside the body and outside the body, by the way, because all those people outside the body that frustrate you and drive you nuts and drive you crazy, all those people that you are so upset by the way they vote and the things they do, and understand every one of those people is dearly loved by God. And that his desire is to transform their heart 
with the saving power of Jesus. And maybe you are the means that he's going to use to take the gospel to them. When we seek to live as a church that shares this fellowship, this community, this identity, this generosity, it impacts everything about who we are. Our activity, our ministry, our unity, it, it, it has a global effect of transforming and changing us from the inside out. That's who we're called to be as the people of God. But can I tell you, none of that happens until we first surrender our heart and our life to Him. Step one is always being surrendered to Jesus by faith. Step one is always acknowledging my own guilt, my own sin, my own shame before a loving God who has graciously made a way for me to be saved. You see, even as Paul later writes, Christ saved sinners of whom I'm the chief. Paul understood there's no one more, more worthy of God's wrath than me. And it would do all of us well to think in the same manner. Sort of the proverbial, there but for the grace of God go I, right? Apart from the saving power of Christ, I would be just as lost, just as hopeless, just as desperate. But because of Jesus, I've been set free. Now may we make it our aim to love others with that same love that was given to us, understanding that we have the opportunity to impact those around us. And so as the people of God today, let us seek to love and honor him in all things as we impact the world around us. As much as you can, ignore the lights, right? There was a, some kind of a energy surge. Second time it's happened this morning. The first time just happened to be before you got here. Uh, so not sure what's going on with that, but uh, great. One more thing to chase, right? But listen, don't, that, don't get lost in that. God wants to use you to impact others around you. Let's make it our mission, our aim to be the people he's called us to be, to impact others around us the way that he's called us to impact the world around us, the cause of Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response, a time of invitation. As we think about the, the call to respond today, maybe God is calling you to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe the call for you is a call to, a call to Christ, a call to quit running from the sin and the brokenness and instead to embrace the freedom and forgiveness that are yours in Jesus. If that's you today, then even as we sing this song of invitation, I want to encourage you that you would come, you would surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe God's speaking to you today about your, your impact, how you can have an impact on others, the way that someone has had an impact on you. Can I encourage you that it, God's calling you to impact others through your involvement in the church? Maybe that's to connect here. Maybe that's to become a part of this church. If that's something that you're thinking about, let us, let us help you. Let us pray with you and help you as you explore those possibilities. But in, in all things, can I encourage you? Continue to pursue Jesus. Continue to pursue his call. Continue to freely share what has been freely given to you as we seek to impact others around us with the love of Christ. 
So Jesus, we turn our hearts to you this morning and we pray that you would move in us, transform us by your saving grace, make us more like you, use us to impact the world around us. Not because of anything that's special or great in us, but because of everything that's, that's awesome about you. We thank you that your grace is given freely as a gift. Help us to give it freely to others. We want to be generous the way that you've been generous to us. We want to be loving the way that you've loved us. We want to serve others just as you served our greatest need by dying on the cross for our sin. So use us to make an impact. We pray. Amen.